Our first reading this evening comes from the Old Testament book of Exodus, the 19th chapter. The people of Israel set out from Rephidim, came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." These are the words that you shall speak to my people Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the ninth and 10th chapters. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal, <coughs> heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, 
to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit your, of your Father is speaking through you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. We can... In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. This is a very special Gospel lesson for us today. Uh, special especially because uh, tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock we will be celebrating the installation of Pastor Andrew Packer, the uh, culmination of a lot of work and a lot of prayers over the last year. And we're very thankful that the Lord uh, brought him to us to assist us and teach us and to heal us as we'll hear more about that in this message, the mission of the Lord Our gospel lesson begins with the calling of the twelve disciples. These were the disciples who learned at the feet of Jesus the very mysteries of the kingdom of God. And why did they learn them? Not just for their own personal benefit, but above all, that they would then be the beginning of spreading that news to the ends of the earth. Jesus commanded them to go first to the Jewish people. This was the way he did things before the resurrection. And we know why, because as we read in our Old Testament lesson from the book of Exodus, the Jewish people are God's own special people. And it is, they are special because from them comes the Messiah, and from the Jewish people, therefore, comes salvation to the ends of the earth. So Jesus begins fulfilling this mission of the Lord to bring salvation to all peoples by sending these 12 disciples to the villages and to the towns to preach and to heal. Let's go over that mission. Four important things I'd like you to notice about the mission. And then I want to zero in carefully on the, on the verse about the serpents and the doves because this is very, very important for us in seeing how we are to fit in with the world in which we are living at this time in our lives. First of all, this is a mission to preach and to heal. Think about it. Sin is a disease, a spiritual disease that also causes physical suffering, death, and many, many other problems in this world. And the ultimate cure and remedy for it is the preaching of the law and the gospel, calling people to repentance of their sins and forgiveness of their sins in the cross of Christ, in the life of Christ, in the resurrection of Christ. Only when we look to that cross and believe in those promises can we find that forgiveness which we desperately need and is the beginning to the end of all our woes and all our troubles in this world. But it is also a healing ministry. Jesus told them to preach and to heal. They were not only beneficiaries of the teachings of Jesus, but he gave to them special gifts. Under the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, we remember the things that the Holy Spirit does. Number one, brings us to faith. That's something he does for all Christians equally. He also helps us live that faith to do good works, and that can vary a little bit from Christian to Christian, some doing more than others. And we praise God for everyone and the good works that they do 
by the work of the Holy Spirit in them. But thirdly, there's another thing the Holy Spirit does, and that is the gift to heal, the gift to uh, cast out demons, and, and the healing that Jesus did in his ministry and that his own disciples did as well. We carry that out ourselves, and I'll speak more about this later on, but we do it ourselves when we teach others what we have learned about Jesus from these apostles and from Jesus and from Moses and the other prophets as well. We also participate in the healing ministry when we do the good works that help our neighbors. Good works don't contribute to our salvation. That is not something we have earned, but something Jesus earned for us on the cross. But these good works are vitally important because they are part of what brings healing and salvation to lost sinners. Second important point about this mission that Jesus makes is that it is free. You were not charged a price when you came into church tonight to worship. You'll not be charged any price to attend any Bible study here at this church. I spend hours in counseling, visiting people in hospitals, comforting them in nursing homes, and yes, sometimes going over and filling up people's tanks in their cars with gas and giving them groceries and all sorts of other ways for free in order to help people with their sin problems and the effects that sin has worked in their lives. You too, again, are part of that as well, giving freely as you have been given freely yourselves. However, Jesus does tell the disciples they are worthy of the food and shelter that people would give them. And why, when you came into church this morning, we did have an offering plate. Those offerings are the gifts that, just like the disciples, receive in order that they could carry out that ministry that God had called them to. We steward those gifts very carefully and distribute them among all the workers and other aspects of the ministry here at Good, at Good Shepherd in order to preach and to heal, in order to proclaim the gospel and to live out the gospel in our community that God has, where He has placed us here. There are sometimes special ministries that have fees like Christian education, Christian counseling, and Christian publications. And there's a place for those in the Christian church as well because they are very special and they're applied to certain people who have certain special needs. But even those ministries, education, counseling, and publication often provide many free resources as well. But fourthly, and this is very important and an important segue into the verse that I especially want to focus on tonight about the serpents and the doves. Jesus tells the disciples that they are to receive the peace of those who listen and believe what they say and to give their peace to those homes and to those towns. On the other hand, they are to wipe the dust off their feet in those places where what they have to teach is not accepted and not received. Jesus was not a blind optimist who thought that somehow everybody in the whole world was going to quickly and automatically believe the things that he said, that they would actually want the forgiveness of sins in their lives. He told a parable that mentioned four types of soil, 
into which the seed, the Word of God, was sown. Out of those four types of soil, only one became fruitful. That's not a bad proportion, kind of what we actually see going on in the world around us as we look at that world over the centuries. Most who hear the gospel do not want it and do not believe it. And therefore, it is important for us to acknowledge that and not to amend the gospel, not to change the gospel so that it might be a little bit more receptive to them. When I began my ministry many years ago, there was a church growth movement going on. I took a class at the seminary on church growth. There are some good things about that movement. There are some mistakes that Christian churches have made that actually make the reception of the gospel a little difficult for people, and those are things that can be changed. But the heart of the church growth movement was this mantra, which is still ringing in my ears after all these years to this very day. And the mantra was, don't preach anything controversial. That church growth movement and that mantra has been working in our country for over 30 years now. Now we are starting to see the results of that failure. The failure to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave to the church. To preach and to heal. And never to amend the message that He has given of sin and salvation. It is what it is. Some believe and some do not. Now we come to this very important verse, verse 16. Let me read it again. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Jesus says we are sheep among the wolves, and the overall important teaching like a thread that runs through all of this is that We cannot convert wolves by becoming wolves ourselves. We cannot save sinners by sinning along with them ourselves. We have to be sheep among the wolves. But being sheep in this case doesn't mean we are defenseless and powerless. That would be true of sheep who have no shepherd. But we do have the Good Shepherd. And because of that, we are not defenseless and we are not powerless by any means. Jesus uses two different other animals here in His sermon and in His mission uh, sending of these disciples. First, the serpent, and second, the dove. I'd like to ask you to think about these two animals in terms of the two great teachings of the Bible, law and gospel. We are to be serpents, that is, we are to be wise. And I don't know if you ever really thought about it, but the Ten Commandments are really, in many ways, the beginning of all wisdom. Jesus himself says, Paul says the same thing, that people who don't believe, who don't receive the Ten Commandments of God or the gospel of forgiveness, are blind. And that only causes them to stumble into all sorts of problems and difficulties in their lives. And when we quickly look at the Ten Commandments and compare them to the culture in which we are living, we can see how true that is. When we reject, for example, the first three commandments, no other gods, 
Don't misuse the name or the word of God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That is, actually listen to the word of God and participate in it and repent of your sins, believe in God's forgiveness, pray for His help and His strength. When we reject that, we cut ourselves off from God, and that is the beginning and the destruction of everything around us in our lives. And the commandments basically go through that for us. Fourth commandment is about family. Honor your father and your mother. This is what is being destroyed constantly around us to this very day. No respect for parents. No respect for children. Everybody acting out on their own selfishly and to themselves. And we know that this is the very first lesson that everyone learns in a real family, in a family that follows God and His commandments, is that we have to learn somehow to live together and work together. And we can't just slam our doors and go to our rooms and go off in our own directions all the time. But that is what is happening in the American family today. That leads to the fifth commandment, which is about life. And this commandment tragically is being uh, flaunted in our world today, beginning with the, the, the death of the little children in the womb, but continuing all the way through, seeing the increase of violence and hatred at the very root of this commandment is hatred. As we are told in the Bible, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is exactly what people are doing, and that is increasing. Violence is going faster and stronger all of the time. I personally had an encounter with that this week when I went to Chicago to celebrate the graduation of my daughter. Uh, from her master's degree, walking down the street on a sidewalk in Chicago, I noticed a guy coming towards me, and he looked a little like he was acting a little strangely, like kind of doing this kind of stuff. And I thought, well, maybe he's in his own world. I don't know exactly what, uh, what's going on, but I uh, just kind of made sure I didn't make eye contact with him. Uh, but I didn't look down at the sidewalk, and thank God I did not look down at the sidewalk. I kind of kept him out my peripheral vision, and as soon as he got within about three feet of me, he said, I'm going to beat the out of you. Everybody around was kind of shocked to hear that. And I look at that and say, yeah, this is the world we live in. This is the way people think. This is the way people act. It, not all people, but certainly the proportion of those who are acting that way is growing. It is happening in our world, and it is right in front of our very eyes. It all goes back to this blindness of denying God and His laws that make us wise and help us live life in a good way. The sixth commandment is about marriage. You shall not commit adultery. And here, this is completely obliterated by the world today, even among Christians who don't respect marriage and who practice sex apart from marriage, never taking into their hearts the realization that there will be consequences for these things if they don't repent and seek God's forgiveness. Marriage breaks down, and with marriage breaks down family and life. And the next one as well, the seventh commandment, you shall not steal. We live in a world now who 
in, in which many people are arguing for what they call equity. And I want to zero in on this one a little bit, especially tonight, because it's kind of a newer one, a newer form of blindness taking over our world. Actually, it's been around for quite a long time. It used to be called communism, but because it failed so miserably in so many countries and people still want to keep it going, they were led to change the name of it into something else. But it's basically the same ancient old idea that everybody gets the same salary, everybody gets the same of everything in life. And that's never been that way in the Bible, and there's a very important reason for that. Before, I was just mentioning the importance of helping your neighbors and being generous toward others. You cannot do that when everybody has exactly the same. It destroys the very idea of generosity itself. And that is exactly what the devil wants to happen in every nation. Because that means the government provides the generosity. Not the individual who can tie that generosity to the cross of Christ, to the forgiveness of sins, and to the hope of salvation. Equity is the devil's plan to destroy good works because good works can lead people to Christ and he does not want that to happen. Eighth commandment, you should not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is an assault on the truth. And that, of course, is going on wildly in front of our very eyes as well as people deny science itself. We were so often told that we, the Christians, were the ones not following the science. And yet, anyone can recognize what's happening in the world when people cannot understand the difference between a man and a woman or a boy and a girl. And then finally, we get to the ninth and the tenth commandments. And here's where we really see the problem of denying the wisdom of the commandments. These are all about contentment. The Lord put it negatively to Moses, you shall not covet your neighbor's things, your neighbor's house. That's the ninth commandment. Tenth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's people, his wife, his, uh, his servants, uh, his animals. This is about really the, about contentment and learning that we can be content with the things that God provides to us and for us. And if there is anything that we can see going on in this world, the farther it moves away from God, the farther it moves away from the wisdom of these commandments, the less content this world is. And this is our wisdom. And so when Jesus says, I want you to be wise as serpents, this is certainly one way that we do this. By holding fast to these commandments ourselves, by talking about these commandments, and I've found that this is a pretty effective way to talk to people still. They haven't gone that far into the cesspool of sin. A lot of people still in the back of their minds have a little bit of respect for the Ten Commandments. And that's all you have to say is, I believe in the Ten Commandments. And then you probably in some cases need to explain what they are and then also go on to explain about how these are wisdom. This is the way God wants us to live our lives. Talk about it with your family and your neighbors. But there's more to it than that. It's just speaking up, but it's also voting for our leaders of our country. 
Why would we choose leaders who go against these commandments? It makes no sense at all. And I don't care whether they promise to help your business or to help your union or to pay off your student loans. Would you take a few thousand dollars in order to have your souls and the souls of your children destroyed? Be wise as a serpent, Jesus said. I know it's a little fiery. Those commandments were given in fire on Mount Sinai. But turning us now to the gospel, to be innocent, Jesus says, as doves. The commandments save no one. They are wisdom. They are, they are very important because they wake us up from the blindness that would cause us to dive right in to sin. But they're like an x-ray. What does an x-ray do? It exposes the fractures or the rot in our spiritual bones. And that's what the law does. So the law by itself is never enough. And so Jesus says, be wise as a serpent, but innocent as a dove. How are we to be innocent as a dove? Well, innocence here also carries the word of purity. And purity, we can't help but think about that word and also think about holiness. I've watched a few videos of pastors who are kind of preaching the same sermons like I am, but here is where I often part ways with them because that their sermons often argue for holiness as though this is something we can will to do on our own. And I often hear them failing to preach the gospel. They're good at preaching the law, but not the innocence, the purity of the doves that Jesus is talking about here. We do need holiness personally in our marriages, in our families, in our churches, and in our nation. But you don't get holiness by just willing yourself to be holy. The only way of holiness is clearly laid out for us in the gospel itself. How did the sinners that Jesus encountered one after another in his ministry, how did those sinners become holy? By repentance and forgiveness. And it's not something we just do once at the beginning, at our conversion, but it is something that we do throughout our entire Christian lives. The stained glass window behind me was designed especially to emphasize that point. If you see the stream of water flowing from the baptismal font over there, reminding us of our conversion, but flowing all the way over to the other side as well. We constantly live with repentance and forgiveness. As Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, we should be praying all the time, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is the way we, as Peter said in his second letter, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As we think about those wisdom of those commandments and how important they are, to the world around us, we begin by applying them to our own lives as well. Only then can we appreciate how hard it is for some of them to accept the commandments. They have to come to repentance, and we have to be repentant ourselves. And when we are, we have a greater appreciation for them. 
and the struggles that they may be going through. And now to the second thing that I think is vital here about being innocent as a dove. And that is to fulfill our Lord's command, I think, truly one of the hardest, next to loving God, uh, the second great commandment Jesus said was to love your neighbor as yourself. And you all know that in his ministry, Jesus carefully taught that included in the word neighbor is also the word enemy. Love your enemies. We cannot follow the mistake of many politicians, some of whom I think you and I are interested in because they do uphold the commandments, and that's good. But they also ridicule their enemies. They mock them. They humiliate them. That is not Christian, and we cannot support that. We shake the dust off our feet. Notice how Jesus said that. He didn't say yell and scream and humiliate and berate and belittle those who don't repent. He just said, acknowledge reality, call them to repentance, and call them to forgiveness in Christ. We keep doing that until they come to that faith. Thirdly, in our holiness, repentance and forgiveness, loving our enemies, and now, last of all, I want to pick it back up one more time, the importance of good works. But here I want to expand your minds a little bit and your thoughts about this. This isn't just the good works that I talked about earlier of helping your neighbor by mowing their lawn, uh, by listening to the problems of your friends and your family. Yes, those are all, all important things for us to do. But one of the most important good works for all Christians is simply to do the good that we can do with all the blessings that God has given to us in our lives, to improve our skills. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 118, says, Save now, O Lord, and grant success. This is vital for the success of the mission and the ministry of Christ in this world. When we apply for jobs, if we have skills, people will want us to work for them. And we have leverage, and we do not have to necessarily participate in their sins that they might be advocating as a company. As we increase in our skills, they will come to us and seek our employment, and then we can rub off on them with our faith and with our wisdom, and with our gospel in Christ. Yes, we help others with generosity, but that generosity is only possible if we are able to bear good fruit in this life and do the best with all that God has given to us. So one of the best good works for children is just to do your homework and do your best in all things in life. Seek God's blessings and His wisdom as He leads you and guides you You are called to follow Jesus. You are called to be a part of this mission as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Please rise.